This is an Our Savior Evangelical Free Church podcast. To learn more, visit osefc.org. That's all I've got, so let's get into the preaching of God's Word this morning. We will be in the book of Ecclesiastes. This is the second week in this book, so if you have your Bible, hope that you brought it with you. If you didn't, use the one in the rack in front of you. If you'd like, open to this ancient book of Ecclesiastes. It may be old, but it is still vitally important and contains wisdom for today. And so as you're locating that in your Bible, if you're new to the Bible, I would just encourage you to use the table of contents. It's probably just going to be just to the right of middle in your Bible, but use the table of contents. It will help you to find Ecclesiastes. Let's join together in a word of prayer. God, may you instruct us with ancient wisdom still central to our lives today. Because as we learn from this book, there's nothing really that's that new. The experience of living this side of Eden, but before heaven, It's relatively the same for everybody who's ever lived. And while that might seem discouraging at the surface, if we even just go down a few inches, we will see that there's great hope and encouragement there. And this book of Ecclesiastes doesn't provide inches or feet. It provides miles. Miles of depth that we might plumb to know more of you and grow as followers of Christ. That's our aim. That's our hope this morning, that we would become more like Jesus as we read these ancient words. Do that. I pray for your help, and I ask that you would be good enough to only let us take away what you have for us from this time. Be kind enough to wipe the rest from our memory. I only want to say things that are from you. It's in the matchless name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Well, this book of Ecclesiastes is a unique book. If you weren't with us last week, we started to walk through this. We're going to go basically verse by verse. It's probably unlike anything else you're reading, maybe anything else you've ever read. And I think I said it like this. Ecclesiastes doesn't come off as chipper. The writer is searching for the essence of what it means to be human. And if you're going to explore that question with any semblance of sincerity, you're going to have to acknowledge that life is relatively two things. One, life is relatively short And it can be, second, awfully hard. So this can be a difficult book to work through, but that doesn't mean, like I prayed, it's depressing. It's actually incredibly hopeful. But to see the hope here, what we have to do is enter into the process that the writer is taking us through. He calls himself the preacher. Same thing as the teacher. 
He's not just going to come out and say, here's the essence of life. Here's the essence of what it means to be human. That's too easy. And it's too easy. I could, if I just said, hey, I have the answer for what it means to be human for you this morning, it'll take me three minutes to tell you. You'd probably rightfully say, I don't think you've quite got it yet. You can't capture the essence of this in three minutes. You can't do this quick. So instead, what the preacher says is, let's have a real, frank discussion about life. Let's get into this. And so what we're doing in these verses this morning is we're continuing in a real, real discussion of what it means to be human. So before we read this, I want to just do one thing first. And that is to dispel, again, any notion of quick fixes coming this morning. We love to have our problems solved quickly because it limits hardship, limits pain. And we can just get on to things that are more fun. We like fun, we don't like pain. So we like to go and we like to get our oil changed in 10 minutes. And we like to have the tires rotated at the same time, just take care of all of that. We don't have anything for dinner. We can always hit Chick-fil-A. Well, not today. You can't hit Chick-fil-A today. That, I mean, that's a great policy, but come on. It's always on Sundays. It's like the absence makes the heart grow fonder, I guess. Do you remember, I was thinking about this one this week. Do you remember when you, ha- when you used to have to wait for a whole week to see how the cliffhanger of your show resolved? Now, Netflix just fires that thing right up. It has that bar. That, is, is that bar getting faster? It used to be like, you know, 15 seconds that you'd have to, you know, get the remote and say, no, I, I have to go to bed. And now it's like, unless you're like a cowboy, like quick on the draw, it's they give you like three seconds. And then it just fires another one right off. And you're like, I guess I'm going to be late to bed again because I'm, I'm hooked again. We like things quick. And so the whole approach of the writer of Ecclesiastes is summed up like this. He's not going to make this quick or easy. Last week I said, he said, really ask this, what's the point of much of anything? And the way he asks it is basically, kind of his conclusion is it's all vanity. It's all simple. It's all meaningless. It's all quick. It's all vapor. It's all breath. And if you've been a Christian For a while, maybe when you hear it's all vanity, it's all meaningless, life is quick, maybe your first instinct, maybe your first impulse has become when you hear what's the point of life to shout out God. God is the point. And you're not wrong. Yeah, sure, you're right. And we'll get there. But he's not going to do this drive-through style You know, while you're hungry, you don't even need to leave your car to have a burger in your hand in three minutes or less. What the preacher is going to say now is if there's nothing new and all of life is the same for everybody, which is where he starts, it's not going to be exactly the same for everybody, but it's relatively similar and it's hard for everyone. And if we're going to understand this, we need to work it slowly. 
And then if you're still wondering further, where is God in this then? Why not just come out and say, God, God's the point? It's because that answer is too simple. It's true and it's right. But if we're going to really understand the complexity, if we're going to understand how God is the point of everything, if we're going to understand how God works when it's hard, we're going to need to do a little bit more than a drive-through. So the preacher writes, and he's going to get here, that God is the one who actually makes sure that life is the way it is. That's where he goes this morning. If you go, well, life seems kind of meaningless sometimes. That's his conclusion. And life is really hard. And there's all sorts of challenges. And things don't turn out the way that I want them. And I don't always know what I'm doing. In fact, I hardly ever know what I'm doing. The preacher's conclusion is it's actually not God who just offers escape from that. It's actually God who makes it that way. We have it this way because God has designed it to be this way. But that's a good thing. And before we're done, we're done this morning, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why it's a good thing that it is this way. So now, let's start reading. If you have your Bible, Ecclesiastes 1, we jump in at verse 12. 1, 12. I... The preacher have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. So we covered this last week. The writer is Solomon, the son and heir of King David, kind of the model, ideal king of Israel. Solomon ruled at the height of the kingdom of Israel. After Solomon, the nation falls apart pretty quickly, but right now they are wealthy, they are strong, and they're vibrant. And so your first thought might be when you read that this is written by a king is to say, I can't relate to this. I'm not a king. I'm not like Solomon. I'm not mega rich. I don't have unlimited resources. I'm here just trying to live my life. My goal isn't, you know, Solomon's trying to find the essence of life. My goal is not to find the essence of life. It's just to live the next day of it. But let me tell you why I think Solomon's the perfect guy to do this for us, to work through this for us. First, he already has everything that we think we need and would make our lives better. He already has everything that a lot of us really want. Again, he's loaded. Every one of us has thought at different times in our lives, if I just had a little bit more money, I don't even need a lot of money. If I just had a little bit more money, I wouldn't have most of my problems. So he's loaded. We think we want money. He said, I've got all the money I need. That's not it. He's a king. He lives in a palace. He has servants for everything. Haven't you ever thought, if I could just have a little help around here, if I could just have somebody help me out with this, my day would be a lot easier. And again, here's why Solomon's our guy. He already has that. And again, he's saying, it actually doesn't make it that much easier. 
And so he comes out of his life saying, I already have this, and it's not it. It must be something else. The things that most of us think, if we had that, that would be, it would be better. If we had that, it would be it. He said, no, that's not it. People quote Jim Carrey a lot. Uh, years ago, Jim Carrey said he wished that everybody could become rich and famous because then they would see that it's not all it's cracked up to be. And it doesn't make you any more happy than you are right now. Now, some of you, I, I get it, are like, hey, I'd like to at least try, right? Sure, you would. But Solomon is an even better position to say that. Jim Carrey's got a lot of money, and Jim Carrey's pretty famous. He's nothing compared to Solomon. Solomon lived in wealth and opulence and power and prestige like almost nobody in our world can possibly understand. And again, he said, that stuff's not it. So this is written by the preacher king in Jerusalem, and he's our guy for this. He really is. Verse 13, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. So the phrase under the sun or under heaven comes up a lot in this book. The preacher uses this to refer, that's his way of referring to life on earth. In the contrast we looked at last week, is that this man is looking around the world and finding that, that nothing here matters much. But then we said, one does come, Jesus does come, the Son of God does come, and says, I can help, I can redeem, I can recover, I can save precisely because I'm from someplace outside of this world. I'm from above this world. Solomon is looking around under the sun, and Jesus comes and says, I'm, I'm, I'm from so far above the sun that I created the sun. So I can save. I can recover. I can redeem. Jesus also asked, what good is it to gain the whole world if in the process you forfeit your soul? If you just take a quick pass through Ecclesiastes, you think it's really different. I mean, we read these words and we go, this is so different but when you slow down, when we study, you start to realize that Ecclesiastes sounds an awful lot like Jesus. Jesus loved this book. Jesus gave us this book. So when the preacher says what he says next after this, remember there, there is a monumental difference between life under the sun, under heaven, and what he says here, and life from heaven. So life under heaven and life from heaven are completely different things. But look at what he says. This is why you think it's depressing. But I promise it's good that God gave it to us this way. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Verse 14, I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. And just in case you think, no, no, he can't possibly mean what it seems like he's saying. Yes, he is. The preacher is saying that the way most of us spend our time and prioritize our lives, the things we build our lives around, make about as much sense is you saying, I think I'll go outside and try to catch some wind this afternoon. 
And then he adds in the real kicker of this morning's message. It's God who set it up that way. This unhappy business of doing this and that. That's what God has given us. So let me read one. This is kind of a proverb inside of this, and then I'll explain some of this. Verse 15. What is crooked, he says, cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. So what the preacher is walking us through is his journey to understanding the true essence of life, and the way he's saying that is that you can't constantly be ignoring what's right in front of you and wishing it were some other way. If you want to know how to really live the way that God has given us in this world, and let's do a little linear work right now. We live in the world. God has put us in the world. But God is good, and God is for us. And so the way that God has put us in the world must be good, and it must be right for us. And so that's what the preacher is doing, is saying, if this is where we live, and if God is good, then we must understand better, not how to escape this kind of a life, but how to live within it. And the way he says to do that, this little proverb, verse 15, is we have to stop constantly ignoring what's right in front of you. We have to stop wishing everything about our lives or lots of things about our lives were some other kind of way. So he says, you can't make what is crooked straight. In other words, you can't change the way that this is. You can't. And trying to do that is like trying to open up your hands really wide and then clenching them really fast so you can catch the wind moving through them. Try it. You can't do it. Can't catch the wind. So if you are spending a good portion of your life thinking and wishing for things that you don't have, mad at people you think have more than you, generally wishing everything, something big was different about your life. Solomon is just laying it out plain and saying that that's foolish. Because if you feel like it's crooked, you can't make it straight anyway. You have the life you have. It's the one that God has given to you. So, and this is the big thing that I want, if, if, this is what I want you to hear this morning. The sooner you can move on, move from looking around, spending a lot of your time concentrating on what you don't have, what hasn't come, and learn to see and enjoy what you do have, then you will see your life have greater meaning and purpose, real true purpose. This is what the preacher knows. You can gain the whole world, whatever you want, but if you forfeit your soul, you might get something in this world, but it doesn't really matter much at the end of the day or ultimately. Whatever you are trying to gain in this world under, the, under our sun isn't going to matter in a few years. Most of it's not going to matter in a few days, but even the big things aren't going to matter in a few years. I know that sounds depressing. We talked about this last week. The things that you think are important aren't going to be important in a couple of years. Even your life is going to be over in a few years. So is mine. So if we want to understand what it means to truly be human, we have to understand that the essence can't be 
seeking all the things that we think this world has to offer. It must be entering in to the life that God has given us. So think about this. Most of what you want to spend your life trying to gain won't matter soon. So the first thing is recognizing that, just admitting that. Most of what I want to gain isn't going to matter soon. But the second is not, this is what it's not doing. It's not saying, well, I guess there's no point to anything. The preacher is not saying that. He says instead, no. Instead of trying to gain the world, learn to live life, here's the key, as a gift from God. That's what it is. Don't spend your life trying to gain the world. Spend it living it as a gift from God. There's a tremendous freedom in being released from trying to gain the things of the world. There's a tremendous freedom in saying it's, it's okay to just enjoy the life that God has placed you in. And now here's the real good news. Here, here really is what comes out of this. Use this life. Not to look around and say, oh, I don't have so much of it. Oh, I wish there were more of it. But use this life to prepare to enjoy life forever with God in the next world. And the second part of the proverb in verse 15 just drives this home. What is lacking cannot be counted. You can gain the whole world. But if it's not worth anything really, of ultimate value, you will have nothing to count. You will have nothing to show for it. You will have nothing in your account when the balances are ultimately totaled. And what comes next in Ecclesiastes now are just his explanations, his pursuits of the things that people use to try to gain the world. So he's going to do wisdom and pleasure opulence. The preacher tries them all, but none ultimately make a difference. So 16, verse 16, I said in my heart, I've acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this is also or that this also is but a striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. He's saying he tried to figure life out by becoming a, philo- by becoming a philosopher. He will figure life out by studying. He will get into a great college, After that, he'll pursue an advanced degree. And when he's done, he's going to have a great mind. He'll be known as a a scholar. And through his intellect, and people try to do this all the time, if I can just think better, if I can just learn more, I can figure out the world. I can overcome the world. We've seen this, and I want to make really clear on this. I love 
the scientific advancements that have happened over the last year. I'm so grateful for the common grace of God to them, but so many people have put all their hope in what they can do in a laboratory and what they can think of and what they can do on their computer and everything else. We've seen this over the past year. So much of the world's hope is being if we can just figure this out, we can overcome one of the perils of this life. The only problem is what Solomon found out. The more you know, the more you realize that things ultimately don't make that much sense. We know more about cancer than we've ever known before in the history of the world. But for everything we've learned, not only do lots of people still get it, but even people who do everything the right way still get it sometimes. Even people who can afford all of the right treatments still succumb to cancer. We can predict the weather better than anybody in the world has ever been able to predict the weather. But tornadoes and earthquakes still seem to come out of nowhere and they kill people. There are people who have PhDs in child psychology. They write books on parenting, but they have sons or daughters who still make really poor, harmful decisions and they do it again and again and again, even though their parents are experts in parenting. And all about parenting. And all about the mind of a growing adolescent child. Now he's going to do this more in chapter 2. But what he says basically is knowledge isn't the answer. You won't figure life out by just knowing everything. Get all the degrees. You can read all the great minds in history. And you'll still be much farther Away. Think about this. You'll st- you, can, you can read all the greatest works of history, all the smartest people, and you still be farther away from joy and happiness and contentment than you were when you were a child. Isn't that sad and ironic when you think about that? You can learn so much, yet you will be more miserable. You will believe life is harder than you did when you were seven. Think about that. And I'm not a guy, I have way too many books. And I love to read. This is not an anti-intellect, it's not an anti-knowledge, it's not an anti-science. I'm pro all of those things. But they're not the answer. Whenever you start talking about the essence of life, you'll get people who just try to find it in all different kinds of ways and places. They'll say it's here wisdom, Solomon. They'll say it's their success or their security. They'll get existential, maybe. Get some new age type thinking. They'll offer a kind of a, it's always a soft definition of love or happiness. It's not really anything more than pretending like there's nothing wrong with the world, but that's what it is. It's pretending. It's ignoring the real problems of the world. But here is what Solomon is saying. Those things are trying to gain this world. So don't make gain your focus. Make living it as a gift from God the orientation of your life. 
So Jesus warned against the danger of forfeiting your soul. Throughout this book, Solomon will fully acknowledge, often with just brutal honesty and clarity, the heaviness of life. The sadness we experience, how hard it is to be in this world, and it's hard. So hard. But that's why Jesus came to say that in the world you'll have trouble. But we shouldn't lose heart. In fact, we should take it, take heart. For he has overcome the world. We, we need to hear Jesus on this directly. This is just a paraphrase. John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. You want to know where peace is? You want to know where life is? It's in Jesus. And here it is. In this world, Jesus says, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. You want to know how to win the world? Now, how to overcome the world? The answer is not finally that the world has not, does not need to be overcome. You have to really clearly hear me on this. The answer is not to just sit back in your lazy boy and say, I'm just going to take everything as it comes. That is not what I'm advocating. The world still does need to be overcome. And the reason is in this age, in this world, under this sun, Sin and death still hold captive everybody unless they have given their life to Christ. So the world still must be overcome because sin and death reign in this world. War must be waged against the sin and death that dominate this world. What the preacher is getting at is that the natural means that men and women use to fight, use to try to overcome their own strength. He lists all these things, but really it's just whatever they can come up with on their own. Jesus, though, says the way to win is to give yourself to him. And he'll fight for you. He'll wage the war for you. He'll overcome the world for you. So give yourself to him and live this life as a gift from him. It's good that this is the first part of God's plan for us. Living here, living this way, does does these two things for us. First, it shows us the goodness and the kindness of God. Our sin deserves punishment. If you read Genesis 3, we just deserve, we deserve life only in this world and ultimately to, to be defeated by it. But we see the kindness of God when he sends Jesus to overcome the world on our behalf for everyone who is in him. And second thing, we see in this life, we see when Jesus says, I've overcome the world, that this is not where we will be forever if we're in him. The world is hard, but it's also temporary. He beat this one. He overcome the, he, he's overcome this one. And he's gone, and he will return to take us, to make a way for us, to put us in a better one. Where everything is right. Where we understand the essence of life is to live with God fully forever. 
So as we close, I just want to ask, are you living trying to gain this whole world? Or do you need to take a few minutes today and ask God to help you live here as though it were a gift from him and a gift that will one day be further paid off, paid out, given. As life forever with him in a new heaven, in a new earth. Let's join together. Let's pray. Let's thank God. God, thanks for this life. It is hard. There are challenges and struggles. Oftentimes we feel like they're so far beyond our capabilities. So may we trust in Christ who has overcome this world. May we hope in him. And may we see here your kindness and goodness. And may we know that this one's only temporary. Pray that we would leave here encouraged and strengthened. For you do say, take heart. You've overcome the world. Praise be to your name. Amen. Our Savior is a congregation located in Wheeling, Illinois. Our vision can be summed up in four words. Building community, bringing Christ. To learn more about this vision and our hope for our neighborhood, visit us online at osefc.org.